Yo, this is Axel Rose of Guns N' Roses. Hey, this is Carmen Electra. Hi, this is Daryl Strawberry. What up, though? This is Big Snoop Deal Double G. Hi, this is John Stallard. Hey, yo, Hulk Hogan here. What's up? This is Beyonce. I got a great show lined up for y'all. Hey, yo, yo, yo. Let's get this party started. The Sports Beat. You know what? Let's keep it hot. The Sports Beat is off the chain, man. Ah, yeah. The Sports Beat. Download the podcast now. You're listening to The Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge. Welcome once again to another episode of The Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge. Happy to be here on this Wednesday. This is episode 470, and we are broadcasted on WQEE 99.1 FM, the key out of Noonan, Georgia. Brought to you by Ivy Park Sports Bar Grill, Go Jump and Slide Inflatables, Backwoods Barbecue, and Planet Fitness. Before I get my co-host Corey Bank on the show for the Daily Dash, we have got a great show for you. I'm going to have Justin Dale, my Wednesday's guest. He is going to be a regular contributor on this show. We're going to talk everything Braves, Dogs, Falcons. It's going to be great. Before I start the show, just an update on Hurricane Ian. It is now a Category 4 hurricane, and it is about to hit right around the Fort Myers area. So everybody just be safe out there. I know that Hurricane Ian has affected a lot of the high school games here in the Chattahoochee Valley. They have moved their games to Thursday night. They don't want to take any chances. I will break down all the games that we know of so far that have moved to Thursday night. We do have a rare Wednesday night game tonight as Shaw will travel to Cairo for their first region game. The Shaw Raiders are 3-3 on the year, and they really don't want to take any chances, and so they're moving that game to Wednesday night. So on tomorrow's show, I will have highlights of that game, and I will break down the Shaw Raiders in their first region contest. We have a lot to talk about on the show before I get Corey on here to make our college football picks We have the Atlanta Braves getting a victory over the Washington Nationals and the New York Mets losing. So guess what? We are tied on top of the division. Braves get an 8-2 victory over the Washington Nationals thanks to two home runs by Ronald Acuna Jr. And then the New York Mets lose to the Miami Marlins. Even though the Marlins, uh, Don Mattingly is not going to be back for 2023, but that's neither here or there. But you got a clash of two teams going at it for a big three-game series at Truett's Park this weekend. Now, Hurricane Ian might affect Saturday. There's a chance that we could have a doubleheader on Sunday, or they can move one of the games up to Thursday night since both teams have a day off. I will have Justin Dale on the show, and we will talk about that. Even though that interview was recorded yesterday... He'll be on the show and just talk about the status of the Braves and what to look forward to going into the postseason. The Columbus River Dragons have a new play-by-play announcer and Chattahoots. Can't forget about the Chattahoots. General Manager Scott Brand hits it out of the park. This guy, he has got to be the best salesman that I have ever met. I've had Scott on the show. A great guy, great general manager for the River Dragons and the Chattahoots. Tom Callahan. 
The former NHL play-by-play announcer is now the voice of the Columbus River Dragons and the Columbus Chattahoots, and I know he'll do a great job. Wish him nothing but the best of luck. The Columbus River Dragons are about a month away from their first preseason game at the Columbus Civic Center, taking on the Mississippi Seawolves. Their first regular season home game will be Veterans Day, November the 11th, against the defending Commissioner's Cup champion, Watertown Wolves. And I definitely want to go to some games. I wish Tom Callahan nothing but the best of luck and hope to get him on the show, too. I mean, because I talk River Dragons on this podcast all the time. I think he would be a great guest and we could break down the Columbus River Dragons together. Now, looking forward to trying to get some River Dragons on the show as well. I've had Jake Krupp on a couple of times. I uh, want to try to get Josh Pietrantonio or Austin Doe, maybe the goalkeeper Bailey McBurney. I'm so looking forward to it. So Rihanna is going to perform at the Super Bowl for the halftime show. And talk about redemption. It's about time. I love Rihanna. Loved her music about 15 years ago when she came out with that song, Umbrella. Hope I pronounced that right. Uh, Please Don't Stop the Music. Just great songs. Rihanna, just a entertainer, has got some great hits. I think that she is going to do well performing for the Super Bowl halftime. I know a couple years ago there was some backlash, but uh, that is a good get for Apple Music, which is going to be sponsoring the Super Bowl this year. Amazing stuff. Aaron Judge is still at 60 home runs, but the New York Yankees do clinch the AL East. And now let's get into some of these high school football games that are being moved to Thursday night. Central was supposed to play the Dothan Wolves on Friday. That's got moved to Thursday. You got Eufaula's game that got moved to Thursday as well. We have a rare doubleheader Thursday night as the Troop County Tigers. They moved their game from Friday night to Thursday afternoon. Kickoff is going to be at 5 p.m. at Callaway Stadium. 5-0 Troop County taking on 1-5 North Clayton. And then you have... LaGrange that's going to play at 8 o'clock. So you're going to get a doubleheader at Callaway Stadium Thursday night. This is really incredible, but they don't want to take any chances with Hurricane Ian. Could affect the Atlanta area to include LaGrange. LaGrange will take on Riverdale kickoff time at 8 p.m. So we got two massive games going on at the same time. Callaway is on the road against Columbia, and that game has got moved to Thursday night as well. On tomorrow's show, I will break down all the games that are going to take place Thursday night. There's still more to come, but as we know right now, Russell County is still going to be Friday night. That game against Sidney Lanier, a region opponent, because they do play on turf. Right? Looking at some of the college football games that are happening Thursday night, you have South Carolina State taking on South Carolina. That game has been moved from Saturday to Thursday. And you also have Utah State taking on BYU. A big game on Friday night, the Washington Huskies taking on the UCLA Bruins. Both teams are 4-0, and but don't expect a packed house at the Rose Bowl. The UCLA fans have not shown up this year because I have had a rant on this show about how college football in California is an absolute disgrace. And I will just continue with that hot sports take. It's not really a hot sports take. It's actually the truth. 
So I had Bobby Z on the show yesterday. That was amazing radio, and, and he is and he is just an incredible talent. And it's guys like Bobby Z that I, I wish that Columbus had local sports talk radio five days a week because he makes radio interesting. His takes on my podcast yesterday were so interesting and so captivating, and I really just enjoyed just talking to him. Anyway, with that being said, I think it's time to bring Corey on for the Daily Dash. We're going to have some football picks, college football, this Saturday. I know that Hurricane Ian could affect some of the games in Florida, but we will have Corey on the show, so you don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, and it's time for the Daily Dash with Corey Bank. Corey, it's Wednesday. It's time for our college football picks. We have got four outstanding games, all ranked teams in action Saturday. Corey, before we start, how you doing? I know that uh, we're about to call a game. It looks like we are going to call a game Friday because uh, they did not move that Russell County game to Thursday. Uh, but what's going on with you this morning? Nothing much. Just looking at the impending weather. Yeah, we definitely got our eyes on the weather forecast. Let's go ahead and start with Kentucky Ole Miss. Two outstanding coaches. I don't expect these two teams to see each other in Atlanta. Both teams are undefeated. You got Lane Kiffin going up against Mark Stoops. And it's in Oxford. And looking at the rankings, you got Kentucky a top 10 team. They're ranked 7th. Ole Miss is ranked 14th. you got two quarterbacks, Jackson Dart for Ole Miss, Will Levis for Kentucky. I'm picking Ole Miss in this game because they're at home. But, Corey, who wins this game? So, the Rebels head into this game the 4-0 this season. The last time they took the field, the Rebels took home a win by the final score of 35-27 when they faced the Tulsa Golden Hurricanes. Jackson Dart went two touchdowns, ended the game with 134 yards on 13-24 to the air. While the quarterback rating was 135.6, he didn't toss any interceptions, and his average yards per attempt were 6.4. Quinshawn Judkins ran the ball 27 times for 140 yards, walking away from the game with a 5.2 yards per carry average for Ole Miss. The Rebels finished with a total of 462 yards, while running 75 plays. And from these stats, we concur that this Ole Miss team, in my mind, will take the victory in that regard. All right, that's a good pick, Corey. Uh, Let's go to the CBS 330 game. The Alabama Crimson Tide getting a tough contest on the road in Fayetteville, Arkansas, against the Arkansas Razorbacks team that felt they should have beat Texas A&M if it wasn't for a field goal attempt that hit the top of the crossbar, the top of the goalpost, actually. Uh, Arkansas played Bama tough last year in Tuscaloosa. I like the quarterback, K.J. Jefferson. He could air it out, but he does not have Trayvon Burks, his favorite wide receiver. But Arkansas plays tough. Head coach Sam Pittman has got the Arkansas Razorbacks playing at a level they haven't seen since Bobby Petrino. But Arkansas, they fell all the way to 20. Uh, Bama is ranked second in the nation. Bama is favored by 17 and a half points. That's a lot of points for a team that's playing an SEC game on the road in a hostile environment. I've got Bama in this game, but I think it's going to be a lot closer than people expect. Corey, 
What's your pick? So, last week's game, the Razorbacks were victorious, led by quarterback K.J. Jefferson, who went 12-19 for 171 yards for two touchdowns. And he was also the leading rusher. He was over 100 yards rushing in the game. Uh, so, he was a dynamic player. Now, Warren Thompson had two catches for 57 yards and a touchdown in their win. The leading tackler is linebacker Bunker Poole. They are stepping into this game also at 4-0. The last time that they took the field, the Crimson Tide faced the Vanderbilt Commodores and walked away with the win by a score of 55-3. Bryce Young connected on 25-36 with 385 yards passing and four touchdowns. And Jace McClellan was the rushing leader for Crimson Tide, who averaged 7.1 yards a carry on 78 yards. The Crimson Tide were pretty much outstanding in that regard. And the Crimson Tide have tallied 2,000 yards for the year so far on 14 touchdowns, 8 on the ground, and the rest through the air. And from these stats alone, I'm going to go with the Alabama Crimson Tide. Great pick. Now let's go to the other 330 game now on ABC. The Wake Forest Demon Deacons, who suffered a heartbreaking double overtime loss to the Clemson Tigers, going into Doak Campbell Stadium to take on the surprising undefeated Florida State Seminoles. Wake Forest 3-1, and Florida State 4-0. The Seminoles are favored by 7. The Seminoles have a chance to go 5-0. and The last time they did that, I believe Jimbo Fisher was the head coach and I think they won the national championship that year. You got two outstanding quarterbacks, Jordan Travis for Florida State, Sam Hartman for Wake Forest. I'm picking Florida State in this game, but I think that the quarterback play by Wake Forest, I think that could be the difference in this game. And it might be closer than people think, but Corey, who do you have in this game? The Wake Forest Demon Deacons come into this game with a record of 3-1 and one for the season. And their last game, the Demon Deacons faced the Clemson Tigers and took a loss by a score of 51-45. Christian Turner led the offense in rushing for the Demon Deacons for 10 carries for 27 yards on a 2.7 yards carry average. Quarterback Sam Hartman finished 20-29 with 337 yards through the air, six touchdowns. So in that regard, it was a tough day for them. But the thing is, is that with the Seminoles, they are on 4-0 for the year. And they took on Boston College last week and lost 44 and won 44-14. Trey Benson carried the football 10 times for 78 yards, 78.8 yards per carry average. Jordan Travis went 16 of 26 for 321 yards. He did not throw any picks with a 12.3 yards uh, per throw average. And the defense gave up 2.8 yards per carry. So they got a stacked defensive line and linebackers filled the hole. With this analysis, I think Florida State's going to take the victory. All right, great pick. So far, we are 3-0 and on our picks as far as like uh, you and I both agree uh, on our picks. Now let's go to the primetime game, the NC State Wolfpack going to Death Valley to take on the Clemson Tigers coming off of that double overtime win over Wake Forest. Both teams are 4-0, and and the winner of this game could be in the driver's seat in the Atlantic Coastal 
in the ACC Atlantic Division. Clemson is favored by six and a half points. That really is not a whole lot of points for a talented Clemson team going up against the NC State Wolfpack. They're just the the batters are telling you that the home field advantage is going to be the big factor, but these two teams are evenly matched. I actually am calling the upset here, Corey. I'm, I'm going to kind of go out on a limb here. I'm going to say NC State wins. I just don't think the quarterback play for Clemson is enough to get them over the hump. I think that DJ Uyangale is a game manager, but I think that Clemson is going to have a situation where Cade Klubnik is probably going to come into this game. NC State has just got too much of a talented team to actually – they could overcome Clemson's defense. But, Corey, I know I'm going out on a limb here, but who do you have in this game? So, the Tigers' offense put up 51 points with DJ DJ Aguilé leading the charge, and they proved they could win against an emerging foe in the ACC. The quarterback was a topic of – Skepticism after week one because the Clemson offense looked sluggish in the first half of his win over Georgia Tech. However, Uagale answered the critics with a 371-yard passing, five-touch performance against Wake Forest. He has 1,033 passing yards of the season, 10 touchdowns and one interception. But the progression of Clemson's quarterback is important for the clash against NC State since the Wolfpack have a dynamic signal caller of their own. And Devin Leary, he has 890 yards for the season, nine touchdowns and two interceptions. He, last year, he threw for 3,433 yards last season, but the NC State's offense used the last three games to gear up for the challenge posed by Clemson. The Wolfpack defense held UConn, Texas Tech, and Char- Charleston Southern to 27 points combined. Very good defensive front. Very stout. The Wolfpack need to win on Saturday through their offense, and they may face a Clemson defense that is susceptible to conceding points. Since Wake Forest posted 45 points in Week 4, the Tigers' defense may be motivated to produce a better showing at home, a place where it has held seven of its last eight opponents to 20 points or fewer. Wake Forest was the only team to go over 20 points in that span. If the Clemson home defense shows up, the Tigers will take the victory. All right, so that's a pick that we disagree on, but that's okay. That's why we do these football picks. Corey, as always, thank you so much for joining me for the Daily Dash. I appreciate it, Richard. All right, that was my co-host, Corey Bank, for the Daily Dash for college football picks on Wednesday. Stay tuned for the Daily Dash tomorrow, where Corey and I will make NFL picks, and you don't want to miss it. All right, we'll be back with Justin Dale. Welcome back to the show. And I got Wednesday's guest, Justin Dale. He's here to talk everything Braves, Dogs, and Falcons. Justin, what's going on? Uh, Not too much, Richard. Appreciate you having me on. Well, let's start with the Braves first. This is clearly your favorite team. You are a season ticket holder. You've been going to games. You live and die for the Braves. I mean, this is your team. Right now, they are in a very intense pennant race with the New York Mets. This is fighting for the number two seed. They are currently a game behind the New York Mets after getting the 8 nothing win over the Washington Nationals. The Mets had the day off yesterday, so they gained that half a game. Bryce Elder gets the complete shutout, and he gets the win. I mean, this team, I mean, Matt Olson has been struggling, but Kyle Wright has been getting his, got his 20th win. 
Uh, Spencer Strider goes on the on the IL. I mean, what's going on with this team? I mean, you're right there in Marietta. You get to see the Braves just about every night. Uh, what can we expect with the Braves? Uh, and uh, are, what are they going to? What are we going to expect in the Bra- for the Braves uh, going into the postseason? Well, yeah, the um, the Braves. It's been an up and down week. There's been some good and bad. Um, like you talked about, the the Braves finished up a four game series over the weekend with the uh, Phillies. They they lost the first two games pretty badly. Um, one was a one nothing loss, and the other one was a blowout. And um, you know, uh, Ronald Cunha's been he's been he's been out, he was out for about four or five days with uh, some back pain. Uh, so he was out of the lineup, made a pinch hit appearance in that. Um, come back and that uh, over uh, overtime, not overtime, extra innings win <laughs> over the um, the Phillies on Sunday. And he played last night, which was good to see. Uh, yeah. Spencer Strider went on the IL with an oblique strain. Um, they've shut, basically shut him down for the rest of the season. He will be ready for the postseason, from what we've been told. Um, and, you know, Spencer Strider's had such a good year and he's already as far as innings go you know this is the most innings he's pitched at any at any any level in his career um i think the most he had pitched i think one season in clemson was 90 innings and so um he's definitely um over you know over that limit right now and i think the Braves have just decided you know they want him for the postseason they're going to make the postseason regardless of what happens with the division and if they've got a if they end up with a wild card they would you know like to have him rested, healed up, and ready to go. Um, so he's ready for the season run. But, yeah, the team's been, you know, they, they lost those two games, but then they came back and won the next two against the Phillies to split that series. Really exciting 11th inning uh, win with the uh, with the Phillies on Sunday night. Uh, Jackson Stevens pitched phenomenal in the, the 10th and 11th innings uh, to close out that game. And then last night was a huge blowout of the nationals. They got two more games with the nationals, one tonight, one tomorrow. Um, the, 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 the Mets are in Miami playing the Marlins. And so, you know, we're one game back, which is great. Um, looking like a big showdown this weekend, probably winner take all for the division with this weekend series. Um, you know, we're not sure what, uh, hurricane Ian's going to do. Um, it's supposed to, you know, cause some havoc this weekend and have some bad weather here in Atlanta. But uh, I'm not sure what's going to happen with those games, if they're going to, you know, do some rescheduling or maybe there might end up being a doubleheader somewhere in there. But we'll figure that figure that out. I've also heard some ideas tossed around about maybe moving the series to a neutral site um, to get it played, which would be very disappointing if those games aren't here in Atlanta with the crowd. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get some more information as the week goes on for that. The Atlanta Braves are one game behind the New York Mets. Right now, they would be the number four seed, and they would play the San Diego Padres in the wild card round. It is a best of three. Uh, what's the what's the format? Is it one, two, or all the games at home? I know we talked about this. Yeah, there's all the games. The higher seed hosts all three games. So the lower seed does not get a home game in the wild card. Series. So if the Braves finish with the four seed, or well, they would finish with the four seed if the series ended the day, and they would play San Diego, they get all three games in Atlanta uh, for that series, and then they would go, and then they don't reorder the seeding after this this round. So basically, four or five, there one of them will go play. They would go play the Dodgers if they advance. Well, let's say the Phillies who would they would play the Cardinals. Cardinals are right now their number three seed. Let's say the Phillies upset the Cardinals. 
Do they do the reseeding? Does the Phillies play the Dodgers and the Braves get to play the Mets? It doesn't appear that way. No, I was actually looking at it today. And from what I was reading on MLB's website, trying to figure out that format, it was saying that the winner of the Cardinals Philly series would go play the Mets. Um, and so I don't think they're going to reseed it after, after that. Now I could be wrong. Don't hold me to that. But from what I can tell right now, there's not, not going to be reseeding from the, the, the wild card round to the division round. Well, let's say the Braves and the Mets are tied after 162 games. Will there be a one-game playoff, or a who who would own the season series? I mean, it's really are they is the tiebreaker the season series, or do they go to the one-game playoff? No, so there will be no one-game playoffs this year because of um, the the because of the uh, the, the, the I say strike the lockout at the beginning of the season. The season started late, and they've had to tack on these extra three games at the end of the season with the, you know, for most teams to kind of complete their 162 games, there won't be a game 163 tiebreak. If there's a tie at, at top of the division, there'll be tiebreakers are based off a of season series. Right now, the Braves are seven and nine against the Mets, uh, which means they would need to sweep the Mets this weekend in order to finish 10 and nine and own the season series against them. If they lose one game, to the Mets, the Mets will then get their 10th win and they will have won the season series against the Braves and would hold the tiebreaker, which would mean then the Braves would have to finish one game ahead of the Mets in order to win the division. If they were to finish in a tie, the Mets would would be granted the division and, and the number two seed and the Braves would have the fourth seed and, and be a wild card team. So this is a very important three-game series between the Braves and the Mets. And if you are a Braves fan and a Georgia fan or an Auburn fan, uh, your best bet is to be at that game and just to have your phone and watch the Georgia-Missouri game. I mean, that's that's what I've been advocating to my listeners on yesterday's show. I mean, uh, this is a huge series, but why does it seem like the casual Braves fans who love college football, they, they stop paying attention to the Braves once college football season rolls around? It's probably, a lot of it's just because football is king in the South. I mean, let's just be honest. It's the, it is the sport. Um, for the South, and when football season starts, um, most other sports seem to take a back seat, and that includes pro sports. Um, and so, especially with you know high school football, you know how big high school football is in the state of Georgia. College football is just as big around here as well. Um, and so, the pro teams seem to take a little bit more of a back seat once college, once especially once college football starts. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think people did pay attention though last year as the Braves were making that run through the uh, world's through the playoffs to the World Series, I think more people were paying attention because they noticed something special about that team, um, especially as they kept winning and getting deeper into the playoffs. Um, and so I, I think people will pay attention. I think that this is a big series um, this weekend. Um, I know the you know, I know UGA is playing Missouri. Um, but the uh, you know this this series is huge. I, I expect three sellout games at, at Truist Park regardless of when they actually get played, but I do expect sellouts there. So I think that um, I think people will pay attention this weekend to these three games because they're huge. All right, let's talk about the Georgia Bulldogs. They did win, but it was not a blowout. They beat Kent State 39 to 22 and it right. was a lot closer, a lot of miscues in that first half. Stetson Bennett throws his first interception of the season. Lad McConkey had a game that he wishes he could forget. And uh, Justin, that was one of those games where I seriously, I was watching the Auburn-Missouri game, I'll be honest with you. That game, you, you could only find it on ESPN Plus. 
uh, once I saw it, that it was 12 to 10, I started paying attention and I was like, Oh boy, I knew that Georgia was going to win, but I had a feeling if Georgia was going to play Kent state close and if Alabama was going to blow out Vanderbilt, which they did 55 to three, that Alabama would be the new number one, but Georgia is still number one in the AP poll. And I think the voters understood that Georgia had a terrible first half and Kent state is a pretty good Mac team that is not afraid to play anybody. And so that's why the score was a lot closer than people expected. Uh, yes, I agree. Um, you know, yeah, first I want to give Kent State um, all the credit in the world for coming in here and playing like they were on a mission. You know, they they were not here to roll over. They, yeah, yeah, they were getting paid to be there, but they wasn't playing, you know, like, you know, like it. they were just happy to be there. They played hard, and they had upset on their mind for sure. Um, Georgia did have a terrible first half. This was not the kind of Georgia game that we have grown accustomed to in the last two or three years watching Georgia play. Um, Stetson Bennett, you know, he was 27 for 36 with 272 yards, but you're right. He did throw his first interception. He had no touchdown passes in this game. Um, He looked a lot like the Stetson Bennett of old, the one we saw maybe two years ago play. You know, the the receiving yards, the Aladdin McConkey, he had six receptions for 65 yards, but it could have been a lot more. But he just had a bad game. He had some drop passes. He had a couple fumbles. Georgia had three turnovers in that first half altogether. And that just it's just not the kind of football we're used to seeing Georgia play. Um, but, it, you know, it, to me, it, you know, it kind of reminded me a little bit of watching Georgia kind of play Sanford two weeks ago. They didn't make all the miscues and the mistakes in that game, but you just didn't really see a very inspired team that really kind of wanted to play, you know, in that game. Um, I, I don't know if it's just these these opponents, if they're just not taking them seriously. I hope that's all it is, um, that you're just not taking them seriously when they were playing them. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it was, you know, that kind of a game is a good wake-up call for Georgia to have, especially with this this team is fairly young overall. And these guys have got to, you know, understand you've got to – you can't just – you know, coast your way through every every game. You got to show up and you got to practice. You got to prepare. You got to show up and play. And you got to take every team seriously because you play like this against somebody else. You play like this against Tennessee. You play like this against Kentucky, and they'll take advantage of those miscues. And they and they could they could upset you later in the season. So, but I, I really do. I hope that this team plays better. I know Georgia was missing some players too, um, as well. Ad Mitchell wasn't didn't play in this game. I think. Um, Jalen Carter was out in this game too. I believe so. I believe so. I think Jalen Carter was sitting out this game too. So there was some of the some of the you know the names we know they set out this game with some with some minor some minor injuries just to kind of heal up. And this was a perfect game for that to happen. But um, I do think that um, you know it was I think maybe it was a good game for for this young team to realize hey you know what just because you're number one team in the country um, doesn't mean you're just going to show up and blow everybody out. You know, you've got to you've got to practice. You got to prepare. You got to get ready uh, for it. And um, and so I, I I expect this team to be better, play more like what we saw the first three weeks, not what we saw against Kent State. All right, Georgia Tech fired their coach Jeff Collins, and this is the part where I love having fun with this. Who is going to be the next head coach at Georgia Tech? I know you're a Georgia <laughs> fan, and you don't really like Georgia Tech. I mean, we we kind of make fun of Georgia Tech. I mean, they. they They've won three games under Jeff Collins. I mean, they were at least competitive with Paul Johnson, eight wins and going to a bowl game, beating Georgia a couple of times in Athens. But um, I was just saying this on my Twitter just to get some laughs. Tell me what you think of this hire for Georgia Tech. Bobby Petrino, 
That would be something. That for sure. Him coming back to Atlanta after the debacle that was Bobby Petrino and the Falcons um, forever, forever ago. That would be. I don't know if that would be the warmest welcome from Atlanta fans or even people that knew that you know knew him coming back into the city to uh, be the head coach at Georgia Tech. Um, you know, the one name that I keep seeing popping up that really is it, it would be an interesting hire to me, and that's Deion Sanders. Yes, I heard that. That would be an interesting hire for Georgia Tech to bring in Dion. You know, that guy. He's you know he's an Atlanta legend already. It would be it would definitely be interesting him coming in because you know Georgia Tech, Georgia Tech schools like Georgia Tech and Vanderbilt they have those academic you know requirements to get into those schools and and they have high academic requirements and so they can't just go recruit anybody. You know, there there's a certain kind of athlete they have to recruit in order to come play. But a guy like Deion Sanders, you know, with what he's done at Jackson state um, has been remarkable. And he's, he's definitely proven he's an excellent recruiter. And so he would have to make, you know, he'd have to hit on a lot of good recruits, especially those that have higher GPAs and can meet the academic qualifications to play at Georgia tech. But I, I definitely think that that would be an interesting hire and, and could definitely make that football team better. And expect Travis Hunter to enter the transfer portal. A, a Georgia kid playing yep. at ja- Jackson State, the number one recruit in the 2022 recruiting class. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Justin, I have another name for you. What's that? Kennesaw State head coach Brian Bohannon. That would be interesting. Yeah, he's done a good job at Kennesaw State. Um, I think that that would definitely be a, a step up for him to go to a D1 school. So, yeah, I, I definitely um, I like, I, I, I would like that hire, too, if I was a tech fan. He was an assistant under Paul Johnson. Mm-hmm. So he would run the triple option, which right now, if you're a Georgia Tech fan and if you want to be competitive, you do what you do that that's, that works for you. You run the triple option. I know that Jeff Collins and run, try, running a pro-style offense, uh, Georgia Tech cannot get four- and five-star recruits from the state of Georgia to play at Tech. you got to run the triple option. I think that's what made uh, Harris County's Taquan Marshall so just incredible when he ran the triple option at Georgia Tech. And they had – players like Jonathan Dwyer. I mean, of course they had some great wide receivers like Calvin Johnson, you know, the late Demarius Thomas, you know, I, I, I think of Georgia tech wide receivers that made it in the NFL. Those are the two that come to mind, but I tell you, I think that uh, Brian Bohannon would be a good pick because of what he has done at Kennesaw state, leading them at least to the second round of the FCS playoffs every year. Right. I, I think it would be a good hire too. I don't know if, Tech fans are ready to go back to triple option, but I mean, they, they did have success with it at times. Paul Johnson was, you know, yeah, he had some years that were not very good, but he had some years that they played well too. So um, I, I think people would be receptive of that, but he's, you know, Jeff Collins, just unfortunately um, he lost the locker room, you know, unfortunately you could see that in the player. I, I watched, I watched the Clemson Georgia tech game at the beginning of the season and, and Georgia tech gave Clemson, a, you know, a fight for the first half. And then in the second half, eventually Clemson's depth just got to them, which is what I figured what was going to happen. And they took, and they just, they ran away with that game. But when I was watching Georgia tech play Ole Miss a couple of weeks ago, I saw a team that literally like they didn't have any fight left in. And, you know, they had some chances to, you know, they had some turnovers and some chances to try to, stay in that game and it just didn't happen as the game wore on I just didn't see the same fight out of those Georgia Tech players that I saw just a few weeks ago and so I knew that you know it just seemed like John Jeff Collins was just losing the the confidence of his locker room all right Justin let's talk NFL football 
Uh, by the one, I, by the way, I'm two and one in my fantasy league. Thanks to Graham Gano kicking a 51 yard field goal. I was good. I was getting a little uh, nervous there when he missed that field goal in that Monday night football game between the Cowboys. Uh, but uh, I think uh, having Lamar Jackson on my fantasy team, I've, I'm guaranteed at least 40 points every every Sunday. It's incredible. That's good. Yeah, I'm, I'm two. I'm two and one in both my leagues. This week, um, one of them was a blowout against one opponent, and then the other one, I, I was, I was just five points behind, and I had, uh, I had Pollard going last night with the with the Cowboys, and he gave me seven seven points. I needed five, so I just squeaked by and won, <laughs> won the game um, last night for my other team. But yeah, two and one in both leagues. And I can't believe I won. And oh my, Justin, I'm telling you, I won, but I benched. Mac Hollins from the Las Vegas Raiders. Mm. So do you know what Mac Hollins did last week? No, what did he do? Eight receptions, 158 yards, and a touchdown. He I, he would have given me 29 fantasy points. Wow. I'm kicking wow. myself for bitching. I might start him this week. I mean, Kyle Pitts gave me some fantasy points. It was nice to see the Atlanta Falcons finally throw it to him. Let's talk about those, those Atlanta Falcons. Uh, they're your team. They pick up. The very impressive win over the Seattle Seahawks up in Seattle. Uh, what was going through your mind when Marcus Mariota fumbled that uh, that read option play? Seattle recovers it, and they're down twenty-seven to twenty-three with a chance to win it. I, I just figured this was. You know, I mean, honestly, it's just you know I'm I'm shaking my head, going, "Here we go." You know, the Falcons are they just like to find new ways to lose games now, um, and I just I really was. I was worried about it at that time. I thought I thought for sure that Seattle was going to drive down the field and get the get the touchdown they needed to uh, win that game. But kudos to the Falcons for holding on um, and pulling out a win on the uh, on the road in a very hostile environment. Absolutely, and Cordell Patterson rushed for over a hundred and forty yards. I can't mm-hmm. remember the last time a Falcons running back ran for that much yards. Maybe Devonta Freeman, maybe Michael Turner. I mean, it's been a while, right, Justin? It's been a while, um, 140 yards. I, I want to say maybe Devonta Freeman did that in his prime, maybe in 2016 during that, that Super Bowl run year they had. Maybe well, that was probably his best year as a Falcon. Um, Michael Turner, I'm sure, had at least 140, if not more, rushing yard game at some point just because he, he was so good. And the Falcons were, during those years when they had Michael Turner, they were a team that was built around the run that played off the play action, um, play action, play pass. And so – um, so yeah, more than likely in there, but yeah, Cordero Patterson had a great game, you know, uh, 141 yards, a touchdown. Uh, he also threw and had a catch for 12 yards as well. Um, uh, Marcus Mariota had a good game other than the fumble that, you know, give everybody a scare there at the end, he, you know, passed for 229 yards, had a, two touchdowns, one passing, one, one rushing. So, um, you know, good game for everybody all around. Um, but, you know, there's still some things to clean up. Uh, it was good to see Drake London get a touchdown. Um, he had three receptions and, and Kyle Pitts, like you said, you know, he, we, we talked about it, I think last week, how he had not really been getting a lot of targets, but he had five receptions and 87 yards this week. And so still, still waiting for that first touchdown on American soul, but um, you know, he's done really, really well um, in, in this game and he made the most of the opportunities that were given to him. And so um, I do think London and Pitts are going to be a lethal combo as they continue to grow in the league. Next week, they take on the Cleveland Browns. Cleveland is favored by one and a half points. The Browns really should be 3-0. and They're doing a great job with Jacoby Brissett. You got to worry about Nick Chubb. You got to worry about Miles Garrett on the defensive side. 
I think the Browns have a lot of players. The The Falcons really don't have the greatest of luck against the Cleveland Browns in Georgia. But this is a winnable game for the Falcons. You know, one and two, they could push their record to two and two. And Justin, this division is winnable. I think that the Buccaneers, even though they're in first place, uh, Tom, Tom Brady could be showing his age. And I think if he doesn't have all his weapons, the Buccaneers are vulnerable. I don't buy the Panthers at all, and I really don't buy the Saints. And I actually think that they could beat the Cleveland Browns. They could actually give the Buccaneers a game. And then come October 16th, I think the 49ers uh, – I think the Falcons could lose to the 49ers. Or, no, let me rephrase that. I think the Falcons can beat the 49ers. I mean, come on, Justin. You know I'm a 49ers fan. That was hard for me to say. I know. That's what you, <laughs> that tongue tied instead of the other way around. But, no, I, I do think – um you know, the Falcons could easily – you look back at the, their two losses this year and how they lost, especially the Saints game, how they lost that game. They were up, they blew it, and they made that furious comeback against the Rams and was so close to that one too. A few plays here or there to go your way in those two games, Falcons could easily be 2-1, and one, if not 3-0. and oh. And so, yeah, I do think that – sorry, I do think that the Falcons have a good team. I just I – just, I think there's just some – there's little things they need to clean up. They need to play a little bit, um, but a little bit, you know, there's things they need to play a little more sound, protect the football a little bit better. Um, but I, you know, the, the game against the Seahawks was probably the, the most complete game I've seen so far from this, from the end this year. And so I think there's a lot, there's still, there's still a lot to get there, but I do think this team is better than maybe us as well as the, you know, talking heads, you know, out there have thought they were going to be this year. And so I do still think this is a team that could be a 500 team. Um, at the end of the season, I think they could play. They might could play a little bit better if, um, as the season goes on, because I think they're going to get better as the season does go on. And um, but yeah, I think this is a this is a team that can win that division. You know, um, I, I don't. I just the Bucks had some players out last week too, which um, I think affected Tom Brady him not having Mike Evans and Julio Jones not in the lineup either. Um, and so I do think that the Bucks are probably still the favorites to win this division, and I think they probably still will. But that doesn't mean that the Falcons can't challenge them, you know, for sure, because I'm, I'm with you. I'm not sold on the Panthers or the Saints yet. You know, the Saints had to come back and beat us. Um, you know, and if like I said a few things go our way and we're two and one right now, not one and two. So I, I definitely think this team can, can grow and get better. They've got to cut down on some of the mistakes. Um, but, yeah, we'll just see how this – We'll have to see how the season goes and, you know, how the schedule works out because the Falcons do have some tough games later on in the schedule they have to they have to play. Justin, I want to take you back to that Seahawks game because there were a couple plays that showed that the Falcons' defense stepped up. So Geno Smith passes it to Rashad Penny down to the Atlanta 10 for a 14-yard game. Uh, they're about to hit the two-minute warning, and then Seattle gets called for a holding penalty. Now they have a second down and 14. A short pass to DK Metcalf. We go to the two-minute warning. It's a third down and eight at the Atlanta 28. The Seahawks have to get a touchdown. They can't kick a field goal here. I know that the thought was going through Pete Carroll's mind. If they do have a fourth down, that they could kick the field goal and uh, make the Falcons burn all their timeouts because you know they like to get conservative. They just go down and kick another field goal. But Geno Smith gets sacked by Grady Jarrett. I mean, Grady Jarrett, I mean, the the defensive tackle that that the Falcons paid all this money for, he gets probably his biggest sack since his three sacks in the Super Bowl. 
And then that was the difference because Geno Smith threw an interception to Richie Grant. Nice to see Richie Grant make a big play. He was a high draft pick for this Atlanta Falcons team. But what a what what a job that the Falcons defense stepped up. When I I thought the narrative was already written, Justin. I thought the Falcons were going to blow this game because that's just what they do. But the Falcons defense stepped up when it mattered the most. Yes, they did, um, and that was good to see. You know, that's that's not something we've been able to say about the Falcons for probably at least two years. But the fact that the defense stepped up and did what it had to do, um, and so that's that's just huge to see you know Grady Jarrett has been around in this league now for several years he's you know with all the turnover now that's happened with the Falcons he's kind of become the elder statesman of that especially the defense if not the entire team at this point and um you know to see him come out and make that that big sack that was huge that was absolutely huge play at a crucial time in the game um when you had to have it and then Richie Grant I'm with you Richie Grant making that interception it's good to hear his number his name called he was a high draft pick, one that a lot of Falcons fans were not, were kind of iffy about when they got him. But it was good to see um, him make a big play like that. But, yeah, I, I you know, the, the defense played a lot better. And, um, like I said, it's still it's still a work in progress for them. But, you know, the one thing about the Falcons, I remember the, you know, the Super Bowl year, when they made it to the Super Bowl, the Falcons defense wasn't the best that year either. But the one thing about them was they, at the end of the game, when they had to make a stop or when they had to do something, they did it. And they didn't do it in the Super Bowl, but they did it up until that point. And they were always good about bending but not breaking. And I think this defense can do some of that. There's, there's, there's some young players on this defense, but there's talent there. And I think they're going to continue just to get better as the season goes on. Um, but, yeah, if this defense can, can play sound football, make, make stops when they need to make stops, and um, I think the Falcons will have success. All right. Justin, as always, thank you so much for being a guest on the show, and I'll talk to you next week. All right, man. Have a good one. I'll see you next week. All right. That was Justin Dale, my Wednesday's guest. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to another episode of the Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge. Don't forget, we're also on iHeartRadio. You can download us on any device. We're found on iHeartRadio. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Stay tuned for tomorrow's episode, and I hope that everybody has a great rest of your day. You've been listening to The Sports Beat with Richard Holdry. We invite you to download and subscribe. You can find us on Anchor, Spotify, Google Cast, Stitcher, iTunes, or wherever fine podcasts are found. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share with your friends and family. This has been the Sports Beat with your host, Richard Holdry. Produced in Columbus, Georgia. Extra production provided by J.D. Matthews. All opinions stated herein are those of the host and do not represent the opinions of Anchor Podcasts. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.